You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, God Gives, We Worship, God Blesses, recorded on October 21st, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's great to be here. I'm excited for many reasons. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Mike, and I went into the office today, and someone had given me socks, and I don't know who, and they say that I am amazing. Now, I don't know if the person who gave me socks is amazing, but I think that person's trying to say that I should look down at the socks and see that I am amazing. So... That's a lot for me to live up to today, but I'm going to give that a go. I want to thank the person who thinks I'm amazing, or at least wanted to give me socks to cheer me up, or I don't know why, but thank you. I will wear those. Second, um, well, we're at one church, but we're in four locations, right? So every week there's four places, people worshiping God, um, but there's also a fifth location we are often at, and that's at the local jail, and I just want to say Hello to you folks who might be there. I'm sorry you're there. I wish you weren't. I'm sure you wish that too. But I do want you to know we get your prayer requests every single time you send them. And you get prayed for. May God bless you. And I also want to say to the folks up at the Petrolia Valley campus, you guys may or may not know it if you haven't been to the Petrolia Valley campus, but it's our, it's our posh campus, all right? It's posh. They actually have... Um, carpeting over the entire floor of the worship area. And I think it's the only one that has carpeting over the entire floor. And, and it has stained glass windows, and, and, and it actually looks nice. Uh, not that the, they all look nice. That came out wrong. <laughs> it's, just, it's just churchy, you know, and it's cool, and it's cool. It's churchy, and it's also hip, because we got cool people in there playing guitars, so it's churchy and hip. But they also have something I covet that none of the others have. They have a paved parking lot. Yeah, you can hear the rumbles in this room. Ooh, no one else has that. But it, it, it was starting to be, be pretty ugly, and they just got it. You guys are, who are there now know this. They have a brand new covering on it, whatever you got to do to make it nice, and it's a lot of work. They didn't just take those barrels of stuff and just squish it on. I mean, they redid the whole stinking thing and nice bright lines and everything. And um, because if we're going to have one parking lot, we better take care of it. So that's awesome. It's a way of me saying thank you. Some people get excited about parking lots. Some of you go like, I don't care. That's all right. All of you who are participating in the next initiative, um, thanks to you, we could finally take care of our one decent parking lot. And now we can start praying about our other parking lots. Trust me, the people contending in the wintertime are just praying we could pave this parking lot, especially the ladies, because um, they wear fancy shoes. Um, anyway. One last thing. Last week, uh, we did something strange. Um, there were two preachers preaching on this platform. One was Pastor Dave on Friday night and then me on Sunday. And I wanted to see who preached the best, of course, because every, all of life is a competition if you're a man. And, and I listened to his sermon, and he did a really good job. He did a really good job. So um, I'm asking the rest of you people who didn't hear me or didn't hear him, please do not go on the app or the podcast and listen to both, okay? Do not listen to the other person. 
especially if you think I did a good job, I want you to assume that I did better. I really don't want you to hear him at all. But he actually did a great job, and, and I, I'm very proud of him. We want uh, to continue to develop our, our pastors according to their gifts. And, um, and Dave is a gifted teacher, and so we want to see him grow in that area. All right, all that said, let's get into Samuel. I'm enjoying 1 Samuel. If you're a guest, we have been going through 1 Samuel. And, and just to set the table, this is, the last two weeks were kind of rocky and sad. Actually, the last several for, for, for Israel. Israel hasn't been doing well. You remember they lost the ark, and, and their, their really overweight leader fell over and broke his neck, and his sons died on the same day, and Ichabod, and all that mess. Well, when we last left the beloved chosen people, uh, the last thing we heard was that though they got the Ark of the Covenant back, there was 20 years of lament. 20 years where the entire nation is just not feeling good about themselves. The Philistines are picking on them all the time successfully. God doesn't seem to be blessing them. 20 years. So 20 years go by between the last chapter and this chapter. Now, this is a happy chapter. <laughs> it's short and it's happy. This is their good time. And, I, and, and this chapter t- probably takes up, I don't know. I, I don't know how old Samuel lived to be, but in the next chapter, he's already very old. So this is the bulk of his young adulthood. So it could be, a, this chapter could be 40 or 50 years, this one chapter. So you can see that Samuel's getting old rather quickly as we go through this. By chapter 8, he's going to be very old. So, um, and by the way, all the coolest things Samuel does, he does when he's very old. Like literally, whacking off the heads of kings. Is that not a cool thing for an old king to do? <laughs> so those of you who are, who are getting a little snow on the rooftop, and, or you're just going with that flat, shiny roof look, <laughs> I want you to know God is not putting you out to pasture. Um, it's, it, maybe your best work is, is ahead of you. Sharpen your sword. All right. So what is God teaching us through this? I think the question to ask is, why do they go from having rotten time to a blessing? And, 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 and the, the chapter, I think, answers the question. Um, they had lamented 20 years. but so, so I think as we approach this, if we want to be changed by knowing God, we have to kind of figure out the truth that's behind this. If we're just learning a history story about Samuel, it's not good enough. We need something how God can show himself and transform our lives. And if we can see what happened to the nation of Israel and and realize that our own lives have lamenting periods, (laughs) they pulled out. How do we pull out? And that's really the direction I want to take this. So this could be kind of a personal sermon. I really would like it to be about you and your life, even though I'll be talking about Samuel and Israel um, so, I'm going to ask and answer this question. What made the difference that moved Israel from sad to happy, from lamenting to blessing? That's, that's the only question I want to deal with today. And I'm going to give you just a couple answers that I think are right there in the text. Number one, um, dedication to God requires turning your back on idols. If you're going to go from sad to happy, <laughs> from bad times to good uh, with God, then, then you have to dedicate yourself to God. And that requires turning your back on idols. And, and that's the first thing that we see in this chapter. Now, you know, God 
is a God of, of 100%, right? Um, and, and these guys had false gods. And Samuel, in our Bible reading, you saw, he said, do you really want to turn back to God? They're like, yes, get rid of your gods. Get rid of all the other gods. Now, in our lives, we, can, we probably don't have physical gods, but we have idols. We have things that we say are most valuable in our lives. We may not think that, but we behave like, what is most valuable to us? Is it God? And then you have to set aside everything else. God is a God of 100%. He, he is, he's the hardest guy to join his club in a way. He wants everything. You know, if you join a local club, what are the dues? Uh, you find out they gave you the dues. You go, okay, I can afford that. I'll join your club. Right? When I was a kid, it was the Columbia House Record and Tape Club. Flash from the past for some of you oldies. Today, it's Netflix. You know, what's it cost to join the club? Well, I got my friend's uh, uh, password. Okay, that's only going to last so long. Eventually, you've got to grow up and get your own. What's it cost? Join the club. Other clubs cost more. Football team costs a lot. They ruin your life with practice so you can have fun one day a week. I've played football, and that's what it's like. Practice is not fun. And, but that, if you want to be in the club, it's what you've got to pay. Well, God says, you want, my, you want to join my club? Yeah. Well, you're going to have to give 100% of everything you got. Okay. God gives his all to us. He requires us to be like him. Remember the words of Jesus. Oh, by the way, I don't want to distract anyone. Yes, I got a boot on my foot. For those of you who weren't here a year ago, a year ago, I had bone spurs on this foot. They're feeling much better now. Get those little heel inserts and whatnot in all my shoes. But it wasn't symmetrical. (laughs) So God said, what if we gave you bone spurs on the other side just to even it out? And here I am. So that's the reason. Nothing's broken. If you've had bone spurs or heel spurs or whatever you call them, you're the ones who know that if you let them get inflamed, it's like getting stabbed with swords and bitten by demons and burned with fire, whatever you want to call it. It's horrible. So you wear the boot so that goes away. And um, hopefully I'll be all better soon. And no one has to ask. So remember the words of Jesus. I, I love it when Jesus... I'll just, I'll just read it instead of setting it up. Um, guy comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, that's, that's me, right? Man, I, Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus is cool. Jesus is everything. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Jesus turns to him and says, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, if the guy's bright, he picks up on that right away. I'm probably scratching my head and say, could we wait a second till I interpret what you're saying here? Okay, birds have nests, foxes have dens. Huh. What is he saying to me? Well, what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, you're following a man who's homeless. You're following a homeless man. Now, not like the guys under the bridge living in a box, because they're not actually homeless. They have a bridge and they have a box. That's home. <laughs> Jesus is literally homeless, right? And he says, okay, follow me. Give up your home. Another man, another of his disciples. So these are people who like him, by the way. These aren't his enemies. These are people who like him. People who go to the, the, first, the, the first Christian church. Actually, 
They're the only ones who can really say it's the first anything in front of their church, aren't they? I mean, Jesus is right there. They go to the first Christian church. And they're like, man, I love the singing and the, all the bread and the fish is good stuff. You know, we hike a lot. I love being part of this church. And then they said, Jesus, I'm with you all the way. And then he says, well, let me, you're just, you're just a visitor. You're not a church member yet. Church members don't have homes. Wait a minute. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, people guess what this is. Is his father dead, waiting to be buried? Many think his father is not dead, but he's about to be. And, and the guy's saying, I'm going to follow you everywhere, but of course I'm not going to leave my dying father, so I'll go home, wait for him to die, I'll bury him, then I'll follow you. Either way, Jesus' answer is, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, that, obviously, that's filled with a theology uh, that I don't think anyone would have gotten in the moment. Because what he's saying is there are people who are dead while they're alive and people who are alive while they're alive. So he's really talking about those who have been born again, right? If you know Christ, you are now alive. And you could be standing next to someone who does not know Christ and they're actually dead. And so he's using that terminology. I think it's too early in history for this guy to pick that up. But what he would pick up is, did he just insult my dad? You know, he, Jesus doesn't play. He's like, if you want to give me you, I'll take it. But I take every bit of you. I'll take all your relationships, all your emotions, all your dreams. I know you got bad points. Take them too. I know you got good points. I'll take them too. I know you own some things. I'll take that. You know what? I know you got romances. I'll take those. What do you got? To be a Christian, I think a lot of us don't learn this from the church. And it's not a fair thing that the church does. It'll say, pray to receive Christ and you're saved. And kind of leave out the whole deal about giving all. And I've met some Christians who at times have shocked me having conversations about missions or other things, he'll say, well, I'd never do that. Why? Because I'm never leaving home. I love it here. And I sit and think, either this person is not a Christian or they're a Christian before they ask Jesus this question. In other words, they're on the way to being one or they're a completely misinformed Christian. The question to every Christian, would you be a missionary, should be, if the Lord leads me there, yes. Yes. Or he could say, would you be a tool and die worker in Omaha? Well, who the heck wants to move to Nebraska? The answer, if the Lord leads me there, I'll absolutely do that. But don't you have a life and family here? I do. But when I signed up, he said, I want 100% of you. 100% of you. That, that's, folks, that's the starting point to Christian joy. I know a lot of Christians who are like that. And you know, I'm not saying their lives are better, but they're happier because they're more infatuated with God. And really, isn't that what the Christian heart wants? When you're feeling far from God, isn't what you're really saying, isn't that things aren't perfect? I'm just not infatuated with God right now, and I want to be. And those who try to hold on to their stuff and their way and get what, God, just give me what I want. I got this, I got this, I got this. Now I need this, all right? Someone here is sick, they need to be healed. Give me that, everything's fine. That person's not satisfied with God. 
Your prayer life is one of keeping their idols. See, an idol could be a good thing. Anyway, I guess the one way to put it is Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. I'm a fan of college football. I'm a fan of Penn State. I'm a fan of the Vikings. I'm a fan of the 76ers. But if any of them ever asked me to give them money, I'd say, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) You're a fan, aren't you? We need to pay this player more millions. Well, not my problem. I'm just a fan. I think people approach Christ like that. I'm a fan of Jesus. I got the bumper sticker, the T-shirt. If they bring a hat out, I'm getting the hat. Yeah, well, he's going to need you to give up your money and your life. (laughs) Not me. He doesn't want fans. He wants followers. He doesn't want fans. He wants soldiers. Soldiers is the best picture. If you think you're a free man, become a soldier. (laughs) You're not free anymore. They own you until the contract's up. They got you for a very serious purpose, and, and, and they're serious about it. But better still, he doesn't want a fan. He wants family. You're, you're stuck with those people. When you're born, there's some weird folks that have your DNA. Amen. There's weird people in your family. Now, you meet those same weird people elsewhere. You say to yourself, I would be wise not to be a close friend or business partner with this person. But then when you go home for dinner, a person just like that sits at the table. And you say, I will die for that one. Well, why? Because they're family. That's what Jesus says. I don't want a fan. I want family. He doesn't want investors. Get a little Apple stock. Get a little mutual fund. Get a little real estate. Diversify. He doesn't want that. He wants wants you (laughs) saying, well, let's liquidate it all. One spin of the wheel, it's for Jesus. Now, don't go gamble. That was just a picture. He wants you all in. Samuel said to the house of Israel, back in our text, just to remind you, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, 20 years of lamenting, you, are you ready to be blessed? He's saying. Well, that sounds like a TV preacher. Are you ready to be blessed? Is your time, it's your time of blessing coming to you, sir. But he puts in this, with all your heart. If you're going to return to the Lord, do not do it halfway. I don't want a part of your heart. I want everything. Is that what you want? Samuel asked Israel. You don't, in other words, you don't wade in to following God. You, know, you can wade, I'll try this God thing. You know, it's wading in, you put your foot in. Ooh, it's cold. The Pacific Ocean is cold. I don't know. Go in slowly. No, no, no. <laughs> you just, just jump right in. He says, if you do want to do that, then look, he gives them action. Put away your foreign gods. Now, for you and me, you probably don't have gods in your home. I would say the way we could look at that is, put away all sins you hold dear. And be willing to give up everything if you would, even the good things. Put away the ash toth from among you. And then he says, look, direct your heart. That means make it the determination of your mind. Every day I'm going to get up determined. 
It's the, I'm going to direct my heart. Well, my heart says, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes, you are. You know, you got these people who run marathons and triathlons, and now they got double marathons and triple marathons, and what you got is really crazy people. Can I tell you people who exercise too much a little something? This is, this is free. It's not from the Bible. It's from me, but it's free. You only get so many breaths in your life. If you want to waste them running, do that. The best time to run is if someone is chasing you. And since it's western Pennsylvania, most of you are carrying anyway. You don't even have to run. But if you do want to be an athlete like that, or a UFC fighter, something I truly enjoy, I think those are the finest athletes in the world, I really do, they have to train all the time. They're putting all they have into it all the time. They, how do you do that? You've got to direct yourself. You're directing yourself to get up in the morning, directing yourself to run, directing yourself to practice, directing yourself to whatever the heck they direct themselves to. Well, God doesn't ask that of you. He just asks that you direct your whole affection to him every day. That you can do. He says, direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And then look what will happen if you do this. Here's the result. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, I know you're not fighting the Philistines, but if I could sound a little cheesy with this, everyone has a Philistine in their life, right? You're not fighting. Philistines aren't coming into your land and stealing your chickens and riding off with your children, but you got something. You got something that causes you nothing but trouble. You turn back to the Lord, give up your gods, Determined to direct your mind to him, and he'll deliver you. So the people of Israel did it. Look, they did it. They put away their Baals and their Asherah, and they served the Lord only. They did it. Returning to the Lord always results in action. This is what repentance looks like. The people put away the gods. Then what happened? Samuel, I'm not going to read the next part. We heard it earlier, but he prayed for them. They wept. They wept and said, we have sinned. And Samuel said, well, I'm going to pray for you, and things are going to get better around here. And then... The Philistine said, they're having a big prayer meeting down there. I wonder, let's go kill them. You know, we've been beating them up for 20 years. Their God doesn't protect them. They're having a big prayer meeting. Let's go beat them up. And so they, they, the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us so that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They're, that's a prayer request. They're saying, Samuel, go to God and ask him for us. Cry out to the Lord. Save us from this. And, th- and I guess this is number two. We have to talk about prayer for a little bit. Prayer is effectual under certain conditions. Prayer is effectual in certain conditions. The Bible says the, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, we know God hears and answers prayers. But there are, are conditions now this, this kind of, there's different kinds of prayers. What the kind of prayer they're having is called a supplication, right? Supplication means asking for something, right? Oh God, please, 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 please let me get the money to pay this bill. You know, you're asking for something. Please let my kids get home safely. Whatever it is, whatever you pray for. 
please let the boss not fire me, but give me a promotion. These are supplications. But that's not the only kind of prayer. I think sometimes we can be at, at, at kindergarten level of prayer, and that's the only praying we ever do. Let's pray. It's like, God, please help me, help me, help me, help me, give me, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me. Thank you, you're awesome, amen. And I'm not saying don't pray that. I'm saying realize that's kind of kindergarten. You gotta, we gotta move up. <laughs> We're in a relationship with God. No matter what you're praying for, God's the answer to it. You say, no, I need money. You do. Guess what? God has it all. Okay. I need life. God has it all. You know, whatever it is. So there's prayers of praise and worship. A great reason to come to church and sing. Even if you don't, sometimes you feel like singing. Sometimes, I'll talk about myself. I come to church, I don't feel like singing, but I will sing myself into a prayer. Sometimes it takes me three songs, but by the third song, I'm praying. You can sing worship to God and sing praises. Good thing to do is sing. Worship and praise. And, and, and just to set time to talk to God about how great he is. Obviously, Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking about that a lot as a nation because Thanksgiving's coming up. But we should always be thankful. It's the opposite of complaining. Complaining, God hates. Complaining makes you sad. Complaining makes people not want to be around you. By the way, can I tell you that? People don't want to hear you complain. The only ones who want to hear you complain are other complainers. And if you ever listen to two complainers together, they don't really want to hear each other. They just wish one of them would realize their complaint's the bigger complaint. It's so true, right? My leg hurts. That's nothing. You should see what happened to my knee. Yeah, knees stink. It stinks getting old. Yeah, you're right. It stinks getting old. Let's stop talking about our knees. Let's talk about my colon. I'm like, stop there. <laughs> Thanks is the opposite. Instead of, because he complaining is saying, God, you are not treating me well. You can say, well, I'm not complaining against God. No, you're not. He's in control of all things. He lets the rain fall on your picnic. But, thanks, have a thankful heart, you'll have a happy heart. That's what they say on VeggieTales, and they're right. You're saying, God, thank you for this, thank you for that. Another type of prayer, and this is very important, and it should be the regular part of my life and yours, is confession of sin. God knows we don't want to sin. He helps us not to sin. As we grow, we grow in our ability to resist sin, but that doesn't mean we won't sin and just throwing yourself down. The Jews did it here. We didn't read that part again because you can't get the whole chapter in, but they threw themselves down and said, we've sinned against you. But then there's supplication. And supplication is important. Praying for what you want, what you need, what other people want, what other people need. But all supplication could be summed up like this. You're saying, God, please give me a blessing and please remove pain, right? They, right, isn't that every time you pray for something from God? Please, 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 please let Sheila say yes when I ask her to the prom, right? <laughs> Trust me, that prayer's been prayed by many a Christian young man, maybe not for Sheila, but for some other girl. He wants a blessing. The beautiful maiden says yes, and he doesn't want pain being lonely, 
or the thing we men fear the most, rejection. If you young ladies realized how many times guys think you're cute, but they won't tell you because they're afraid, because you have power over them. To reject a man is to crush us. We're like, ah. But it could be anything. You could pray for anything. You're really saying, God, please bring me a blessing and remove trouble. Question, does God want to hear that prayer and does he want to answer it? The answer is yes, believe it or not. Because <laughs> it may sound very selfish. But, I'm going to add a caveat here. As we grow in maturity, we learn that every prayer of supplication should always be couched in whatever glorifies you most. Remember Jesus? He's going to have to go to the cross. Lord, if there's any way, Father, to take this cup from me, please do it. But not my will, but thine be done. So when you say, God, make my heel spurs go away so I can stand when it's time to preach. I I prayed for my heel spurs to go away. And I'm standing. But anyway, I'm really afraid because the extra weight on this one, I'm going to get heel spurs that are going to flare up here. And I'll be like, (laughs) it could happen. God, what glorifies you most? Does it glorify you that this cancer does not go away and I die? Please take this cancer away. But if it glorifies you more, don't. It's always about the glory of God. Because ultimately, that's for our blessing too. We don't live here forever. The pains of this life are for a short time. God says yes to the heart that's right, that meets his conditions, to every supplication, but it doesn't always look like you want it to look. We had a brother, Dave, pass away. Trust me, many prayers were prayed that he would not pass away. But can I tell you something? (laughs) We asked for complete healing. He's doing real good right now. He's doing real good right now. He's doing better than us. So there's sorrow. We don't like that sorrow. How can I use it to glorify God? That's always the prayer. Glorify God. This is what's happening with Israel. Samuel's teaching the people really how to pray. (laughs) He, He says, do you want God to bless you? Yes, put away those gods. Give them your whole heart. Direct your mind towards him. God knows your troubles and he wants to remove them even if you made them yourself. Like these Jews made their own trouble. Sometimes you have trouble, most trouble you don't make. Some trouble you make. He knows the way out of the jam you're in. He knows the way to navigate the trial to get you to the maximum blessing and he wants to lead you. But there are conditions and one is faith. I'm not going to dwell on it because that's the one you know. You can't pray without believing that God is there and that he's good. And that's all faith is. Believing that God is there and all powerful and that he will and he likes to do good things for you. But after faith, you need something else that's coming out in this chapter and that's a pure heart. By a pure heart, I don't mean perfect. I mean a heart that's honest about its sinfulness and when it, I mean, you gotta ask God, God, look at my heart. What's in there? I'm looking at it and I'm seeing I have idols. I'm seeing that I have sins that I love and I I protect. 
I'm seeing things. God, I'm a sinner, and guess what? I'm going to act. I'm going to put those idols away, and I'm going to turn from those sins. That's a pure heart. That's a pure heart, and that's what they have, at least at this moment and for the next so many decades. We're going to see next chapter. The next generation just goes back. (laughs) You know, in, in Psalm 51, after committing adultery and causing a man to be killed, David goes to God and says, create in me a clean heart, O God. He's asking for that pure heart. So, so you, how's your heart is where really what matters to you today, right? You got your Philistines. <laughs> you got your trials. Look at the text again. They gathered at Mitzpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And they said, we have sinned against the Lord. They came empty-handed, undeserving, and God doesn't hear us in any other way. He does not hear us because of our religion. He does not hear us because people light candles for us or count beads for us. He does not hear us because we say, you know what, I haven't been too good, so I'm gonna go to harvest and worship a little and maybe wash off some of my sin and be a little bit better. He doesn't hear us for any of those reasons. He doesn't hear us because we do good deeds for others. He hears us because our hearts are pure. Several hundred years from this moment in Samuel, Isaiah will come and speak to Israel again. And they says, and, and look what he says. This is God speaking in the first person through Samuel. Yet they didn't, yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways. Well, that's good, right? Israel seeks me daily and delights to know my ways. Wait. As if they were a nation that did righteousness. As if they did not forsake the judgment of their God. They come to church. And they sing the songs as if they weren't out sinning and not caring what people think. Running their mouth in the most awful way. Abusing their bodies in many ways. Living with greed and pride and complaining. And yet they say, I delight in you, Lord. Hosanna. They ask of me righteous judgments. Give... When, give me victory over my neighbor who's suing me wrongly. They ask me, please help me, bless me. They delight to draw near to God. They say to God, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight, to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is that the fast I choose? A day for a person to humble himself it is to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call that a day? He says, you can do all the religious stuff you want. God's looking at your heart. And, and the pure heart is given to us right here in this chapter in the simple way that Samuel's leading these people. Do you want to return to the Lord with all your heart? Put away your gods. Direct your mind towards him. And they did. They responded with, we are sinful. And then God will turn around and bless them literally for decades. You heard the chapter read. The Philistines got their butts kicked by God. God's happy with them again. They have decades of goodness. Third and finally here, good leadership is established by God and given as a gift by his kindness. Human beings need leaders. You need a leader. Anyway, you know, the American ways of thinking, no, I don't need nobody. Yes, you do. Everybody follows somebody and everyone needs a leader. 
God knows we as humans are social creatures. God does not say, just follow me. He always gives human leaders. There was a movement in the, in the 90s, um, some really s- silly people uh, like, uh, what's that, good, the Christian uh, pollster Barna, George Barna, is that him? Yeah, that, what a silly and, and foolish man he is. Um, and yeah, I said it, tweet it, I don't care. Because he wrote a book called The Revolutionaries, promoting the idea that people are going to realize that the institutional church needs to be walked away from. People need to go out and just worship God on their own. I don't need anybody else. Yeah, you do. We're sheep. That's what, we need good shepherds. The only difference between me and you and people who are lost and out there isn't what we are. We're both sheep. It's they have we're shepherds. And then you have this movement of people saying, you don't need any shepherd at all. Oh, yes, you do. Well, I have Jesus. Oh, you, just you and Jesus, huh? Yeah, I'm telling you, when this leg was killing me, on Sunday night, it was like fire in my leg. And I'd been through this before. My dear wife was like, look at the poor man. What can I get to? But she couldn't take it away. So I stayed, I went downstairs Monday morning and I, I did a, a bunch of computer work. It was very productive for like eight hours in a chair, just getting up to hobble to the bathroom because it hurt so bad. Tuesday, very similar. I was going nuts! Two days without another human? Some of you might think that's a dream. Maybe your limit ain't two days. Some of you, it's three or four or five. Eventually you go, I'm not meant to do this thing on my own. I can't. My relationship with God was suffering. (laughs) I was like, this isn't the way I'm supposed to be. God always gives us human leaders. I have them. You have them. And he gave Samuel as a gift to this people. God often gives poor leaders to rebellious people. (laughs) But he gives good people, good leaders also. And they're always a gift. Good leaders take you from the place you don't want to stay and they lead you to where you're going to be most satisfied. And you're always going to be most satisfied in Christ, knowing God better, seeing him more, being closer to him. So a good leader takes you from wherever you are closer to Christ. God established Samuel for the good of Israel. They had some really bad leaders. He gave them Samuel. And at the right time, Samuel said, are you done lamenting after 20 years? Yeah, okay, I'm going to show you the way out of this thing. And he led them to repentance. When we think of Jesus, of course, you know we got to go to Jesus because we're a Jesus freak church. At least I'm a Jesus freak man. And I know some of you are Jesus freaks too. And, and you're not ashamed to be weird about Jesus. And I like that. I mean, seriously weird people putting gospel cards in candy bags. Now the neighbors will know. Put your address on there too so they really know. When we think of Jesus, do you realize that he, it, we know he's God, right? Right? He's God. He could have done everything somehow in God, Godness, but instead he chose to become a human leader. And then he appointed human leaders. Jesus is the best leader and God gave him. Jesus He's the best because he leads sinners to holiness. Now think about that. That sounds like religious language. He leads sinners to holiness. Think of it this way. 
He, he leads cockroaches to a wedding cake. Well, that's not so good. Well, you have God who's the holiest of holy. And you have us who are cockroaches spiritually. Now, he doesn't do it by saying, come on, cockroaches, come to the wedding cake because you're disgusting. He changes them. Jesus went to the cross. He's such a good leader. He says, in order to lead you to God, I'm going to have to, it's going to cost me 100%. I'm going to have to die for your sins. And would he do that? Why would he do that? I don't know, but he did that. That's what he did. He said, that's what it costs to get you from there to there. Now, that's a good leader. Because a leader can get to a point and say, oh, I ain't leading you people no farther. So he dies for our sins. And he raised from the dead. And here's, the Bible teaches there's a magical thing that happens. Not magic as in hocus pocus, but magical as in, how can you understand this? He is able to give you his life, which is holy. Cockroach, Boom human the way you were always supposed to be and holy woman that you were always meant to be man that you were always meant to be and holy you're actually worthy of the cake if you will and he leads us to God he leads us home 2 Corinthians 5 17 if any, if any man be in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away the new has come it's not about religion or agreeing with religion it's about being changed from dead to alive. Do you want someone to follow? I suggest following Jesus. Let me, let me show you how leadership is a gift from God in one of the most famous verses there is. John three sixteen. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in the order that the world might be saved through him. So you can look at this verse as God, here's a bunch of people lost and not knowing where to go. God says, they need a leader. You go down as a human and lead them. And where was it? Did you see it? Look at the verbs. God loved the world, so he gave the son and he did not send for one purpose, which means he sent him for another. God gave and sent a leader to us. God established him as the leader and said, follow him and you find me. And Jesus would come and say, come and follow me. Some guy says, I'll follow you. Well, I don't have a nest. He goes, well, I ain't following you. Bad choice by you, but you, look at the gift of the great leader. Later on, in Acts 2, Peter stood up before all the Jews and, that were in Jerusalem and said, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. God made him your Lord, which he gave you a king. He gave you a king. We need a leader to keep the Philistines out. Sam, God says, Samuel says, God gave you me. I'm going to lead the way. <laughs> well, we need, to get, we need to get to God. God says, I got this. Boom, here's your leader. Do what he says. I made him Lord. And I also made him the Christ. That's where the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who died for you. He's your substitute. He's your king. Today, God gives us leaders. It'd be nice if he gave us Jesus in the flesh physically, but it would be selfish because there's thousands of churches. Why should we have the, the one with the 
human Jesus, but we all get him in the Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit. But he still requires us to have human leaders. And look what he says in Ephesians. And God gave. Notice leaders are given. He gave the apostles. That's the big 12. Not a football conference, but 12 guys. God, Jesus trained. One was turned out to be a yo-yo, Judas. But he replaced them. And they brought to us the true gospel. Preserved for us in the New Testament. He gave us the prophets. We have the entire Old Testament. He gave us the evangelists. People who go out and plant the churches. And he gave us finally the elders. That's the shepherds and teachers. Elders are the local church leaders. They shepherd and teach. We use the word pastor. I don't know why it's such a popular word. It, it doesn't appear in the Bible that we're pastors, except here in the word shepherd, and that's what it is. But you can use pastor, I don't care. But it's, it's, it's they, they lead and teach the word. Well, I'll just, I'll listen to George Barna. I'll go read the word myself. You should read the word yourself. But God wants you to have human teachers too. Why? I don't know. I have them. I collect them. Why does God give us human leaders? I'm going to give you an answer that's a little bit arrogant. If it's not true. So let's hope it's true. He gives us human leaders to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. I say that's arrogant because that's our vision. And I don't, that's not equal to the Bible. But if you listen to why he says, it's very similar. He says, he gives us these to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. He gives us leaders to make the body of Christ, that's the church, built up. And that's obviously in health and size. That's why there are leaders. And then he goes on. I'm not going to read the rest for time. But you see that God gives leaders to the churches even now. Now, some take church leaders seriously only when it's convenient to them. I cannot tell you what a pain in the neck it can be sometimes as a pastor to have to have every bit of theology taught here run through what you think John MacArthur says. Is, is John MacArthur your pastor? <laughs> if he has moved to California, he doesn't get up in the morning in your town like our pastors do. He's a great guy, I'm sure. I'm sure he's a great pastor. Well, David Jeremiah says this about the second coming. Is David Jeremiah here? Do you see what I mean? A pastor is just someone you go to, and maybe I listen to him, but I got these podcasts. They're way better preachers. Look, the entire world now can come through your iPhone. Yeah, you're going to find better preachers than any local pastor. (laughs) But they're not the ones God gave you. I listen to them too. I learn from them. Well, I'm not accountable to them. I am accountable to men this place. And other people will take church leaders seriously only if they can control them. Well, we pay you, and you're not going to preach on that. Well, we pay you, and you're not visiting enough. Well, we pay you. They're not receiving leaders. They want to be the leader. And they're just missing the kindness of their God. I give you people to lead you. In Harvest, we have... Nine, what we call vocational elders. You normally call us pastors. As a side note, you can just call me Mike. If you want to call me Pastor Mike, you can. You don't have to. 
If you want to call me high, exalted, and reverend Mike, it'll probably throw me off. If there's one big title, please use Bull Goose Looney. I I like that one. I got it from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I like it. And then you also have another dozen or so elders who give of their lives for you to shepherd you, but they don't get their living from it. So they receive these people for what they are, gifts from God. If they stop being qualified, according to the biblical qualifications, you have a right to say, that person's not qualified. And hopefully the elders will take care of that. They bring you the word for your benefit. I guess when I see this dynamic between Samuel and Israel, I see two things happening. And one is that Samuel is only effective when the people are personally pure-hearted before God. He's got 20 years where he's taking care of business, but it ain't working as well. And as we're going to see next chapter, when he's old, they're going to start acting a fool again. You could have a good leader and bad people, just as much as you can have a bad leader and good people. So it's both sides. There's no such thing as a healthy church that doesn't have elders who love God. And I want all your elders to love God, me first. I want all of them to be excited about God. I want only Jesus freaks. They are not perfect men. I'm around them a lot. I know now what their wives know, that you have to overlook a lot to love these men. But they're delightful men, too. Because like this failed man, they love Jesus. And that's what they have in common. And they're called to do this. And I'm just kidding. I'm sure their wives would say nothing but good things about them. I mean that. Um, was, it, uh, was it Chesterton who said, God pity the man who does not brag in public that his wife bullies him. And that's true. Think about that later, married folks. But there's no such thing as a healthy church that doesn't receive those good leaders. That doesn't humble itself before God. So how do we respond today? Well, can I just call you like he did? Do you want to return fully to the Lord? Are you ready to take all your priorities and all that's most important to you and set them aside and say, I'm 100% for Jesus? Are you ready to look at your sin for what it is and cry over it and say, God, I'm not going to protect this anymore. I'm going to repent of it. If you are, then he's ready to hear your supplication and bless you. But you've got to act on those things. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.